Welcome to Trial Stories, an informative discussion of civil justice with a focus on the human story. I'm your host, Arkady Frechtman, a New York City trial lawyer passionate about helping serious injury victims and their families. Good morning and welcome to Trial Stories. So today is Friday the 13th in 2020. And um, our law firm is building out a new CRM and a new relationship management project for all our clients. And so we completed some educational videos about car accidents. And today we switched gears a little bit and we started to build out the same thing, but for premises liability. So a lot of people ask, like, what is premises liability? And basically, it just means that you're on a premises and you get injured. So it could be a slip and fall, a trip and fall, an apartment building accident, a ceiling collapse, slip and fall on an icy sidewalk, basically any type of accident or injury that happens in a building could be a single family house as well. So today I wanted to talk about something that's very interesting. It could be interesting for other lawyers. It could be interesting for clients as well. And basically it deals with New York City and it answers the question of when a New York City premises liability attorney gets a case, what type of investigation does he or she do? What is the investigation that a really good trip and fall, slip and fall lawyer is going to do once he or she gets that premises case? So here's an example of what we do in our firm. For example, if somebody contacts us and says, I fell inside my apartment building, I had a trip and fall on the stairs, the stair was sagging, the stair, the stair was wet. I think that the edge of the step was uh, misleveled. It was like a concave uh, step, any kind of defect. What we do is we obviously we go to the scene, we take photographs, we take measurements. We take When we take measurements, we take one close up and one a little bit further away to give context. Um, if, if necessary, if we think it's it's warranted, uh, we hire an expert. So there's different kinds of experts you could hire in premises cases. Uh, the most obvious one would be like an engineer or safety expert. They would go in and they would do their own examination. And then that expert would give you the building code violations. And if the case goes to trial, the expert could testify in court and he could talk about or she could talk about the ASTM standards or the ANSI ANSI standards that were violated and talk about these fun expert topics like the coefficient of friction and what's slippery and what's not and things like that. Um, so the other thing we do is we interview witnesses. Sometimes there's a witness who saw the accident and other times there's a witness that didn't see the actual fall or the, the traumatic event itself but could testify about notice. And notice just basically answers the question of, did anyone know about this? Did the defendant know about this defective condition? If we can prove the defendant knew about the defective condition, now we're gonna be able to prove the defendant was at fault 
and we're going to establish what's known as liability. And that's an important aspect of these cases. So, but when we get into the real investigation, a lot of the investigation could be done online and you can do it quickly with your computer. And that's what I wanted to show you right now. So for example, let's say somebody got into a slip and fall on a staircase inside their apartment building while walking up to the second floor or while walking to the elevator, those three or four steps leading to the elevator in most um, New York City like Brooklyn uh, apartment buildings. So the first thing you would do is you could uh, check something known as ACRIS, A-C-R-I-S. It's free. You could just type in ACRIS into Google. And when you use ACRIS, you put in the address. It gives you the block and lot and you search. And here's an example of a case we did on, for one of our clients. You could see here, it tells you what the results are. So there could be like assignment of leases, agreements, mortgages, but usually what you need as an attorney is the deed because the deed will tell you who the owner is and you'd want to sue the owner because that would be a defendant in the lawsuit. And here you could see the most recent deed was from 2013 and we just settled this case in 2020. So um, this would be the most recent deed. And it even tells you the purchase price that they purchased the property for 6.5 million and um, tells you who the owner is. You could actually pull up the deed just by clicking the button and you could pull up the deed itself and then you um, you could actually like read the deed. You could, um, you know, you could like zoom in, you could print it out, whatever you need to do. It's pretty cool. And you have the owner information. And then you'd also wanna find out who the management is. Some buildings have management and then you could sue the management as well because oftentimes the owner is just the owner of the property, but the manager is the one who actually controls, uh, hires the super and manages the safety aspects of the property. The other thing you can do is you can go to the New York City Department of Buildings, which you see right here. You type in the address and it pulls up a lot of information here, like complaints, violations, like this building actually had a violation, uh, failure to certify a correction of a class one violation. So pretty serious violation on the property. If you click on complaints, you could see uh, the types of complaints that are in the building. For example, this one has a lot about boilers. Now, our case did not involve boilers, so that would be inapplicable. But very often I do find like my case is about something and that particular uh, issue that my case is about is also in the violations. And then it's obviously relevant and it could be used at trial. It could be very powerful. So this is the uh, Department of Buildings. And um, yeah, you could even see like oath, O-A-T-H, that's like trials that they have, little hearing trials. You see, they've had trials and they've had violations for this boiler, but despite that, they haven't, even though there was an adjudication and they were told by the judge, hey, you got to fix this boiler, whatever it was, they didn't do it. So it continued. That's why they have the red marking. And then they have uh, some other information here. The other thing you can do um, is HPD searches. So HPD searches are basically um, the Housing and Preservation Development, which is an organization in the city of New York. And it'll tell you about different uh, investigations, different inspections that they did and different findings. So here you could see there's violations of the administrative code, um, things like uh, specifics like apartment B11, second story, the second apartment from the south at the west, they had the infestation consisting of mice. Uh, 
So if your case involves like mice or something, you could use this. Obviously, if your case is about something else, uh, then it wouldn't be applicable. But you just have to kind of go through this and read through it. You see, sometimes it gets lengthy. They have all the violations for the building. And they also have the violations from the prior year. You could also just paste it into a document and then do like a find and replace. So you don't have to read every violation because it could get kind of tedious. But, um, you know, what? that's what we do. And very often we find the violation for that apartment. Like, for example, if our client complains of a ceiling collapse and we'll see that a year before there was a violation for a leaking ceiling in their apartment and HPD came out. And then if you find it here online, you could do a FOIL, which is a freedom of information law request. It's free. And they'll mail you or they'll email you all the information uh, about the inspection, whatever information this department, the uh, Housing and Preservation Department has. So this is a very interesting um, tool as well. So the next one is even cooler. This one is called DAP. It's like a portal displacement website. It's also free. You go to this link, and we'll, we'll include all the links on this uh, podcast as well as uh, on the video, so you could have access to the links. And you type in the address, and then it'll actually tell you a lot of information. It'll tell you all the sales and financing, as you can see here on the top left corner. It'll give you like a photo of the property, and uh, street view, a map of the property, and Google Maps. Um, it'll give you all the deed information, the mortgages, you can export it to like an Excel or Google Docs. You can have all this all this information right away. It'll tell you if the marshal has had to evict people, all the HPD complaints and problems, the HPD violations, the Department of Building complaints, violations, ECB, environmental violations, uh, permits for construction, litigations against the landlord. It'll actually tell you if anybody has sued the landlord before. And you can see here that they, they have been sued for heat and hot water, which is a landlord-tenant issue. So if your case involves heat or hot water, it could be relevant. Uh, another way to search this would be to go to e-law, e-law, and then type in whether that landlord was sued for personal injury. And you could also go to e-courts, and that'll tell you that information. And then... So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of information here uh, on this, uh, this uh, placement. The next thing you could do is there's a site called Who Owns What in New York City. And so you type in the same address. It'll tell you who owns the property, the LLC. And it'll also tell you the people involved. Like here it's uh, Mr. DiMaggio. I don't know if that's uh, Joe DiMaggio's, <laughs> the baseball player's uh, relative. or But it's, it tells you who the owner is tells you when it was last sold. And see on the map here, it's telling you all the properties that th this particular individual owns. So he owns a bunch of properties like in throughout Brooklyn and you could go through the map. I don't think he owns anywhere, anywhere else. It looks like just Brooklyn, but a lot in Brooklyn, 22, I believe, uh, properties. And then here on the right, you could see, you could view the documents on Acris, which will give you all the information about deeds and mortgages. You can get that HPD information the Department of Building Profile, the Department of um, Finance, all the tax bills. Uh, and then you, you can go to that DAP portal that we just looked at. So this site is really cool because actually you could do everything, pretty much everything from this one site, um, just by this who owns what site. It gives you an overview. It gives you a timeline where uh, you could see uh, the history of the complaints here, like how the complaints been going. Uh, it gives you like... Uh, a portfolio of 
all their uh, all their properties. When you click on portfolio, um, all their properties, and you can get links to their deeds. You can get a lot of information here. It's pretty cool. And then you can get a summary here as well of uh, what's going on with the uh, property. So let me show you how you can use this. So this is how I used it uh, one time. Um, I wrote a letter, a demand letter to try to settle a case. It was a case like we talked about today. It was when a lady was walking up the stairs in the apartment building and she had a uh, trip and fall because, well, first of all, there was wetness, so she slipped, but also the step had a defect. And so when we researched it, we found that it was a 42-unit apartment building in Brooklyn. It was purchased for $6.5 million back in 2013. It had 189 uh, violations, complaints from the Housing and Preservation Department, which were things like the mice or the you know slippery floors, uh, broken windows. Those are the ones where people call 311 and the HPD comes out and they respond. It had like 243 problems, 111 uh, you know, HPD violations, 64 of which were still open and active, meaning most of the violations, like 60 out of 100, weren't even fixed, despite, you know, the uh, the HPD and the investigators from the city coming out and issuing the violations. And then they had these oath trial adjudications. So we looked at all the data from New York City. This is actually a portion of the letter here on the screen. And we were telling that the insurance company for this building, this is truly scary. This is frightening because the public data for your building shows that this landlord is affiliated with 22 other properties and the portfolio has 1.1 open HPD violations per residential unit, which is much, much worse than the city average. So basically, uh, the available data is telling us that your buildings have a total of 2,160 violations. And we believe a Brooklyn jury if they hear this information, is not going to be very sympathetic to a wealthy landlord who owns 22 buildings. Each building is like seven million or more, and he's neglecting the hardworking tenants, uh, people who are, you know, suffering just to uh, get enough money to pay the rent every month, and he's neglecting them with 2,000 violations across all his properties. So this is very powerful data that an attorney can use to then get the insurance company to pay fair value for your seriously injured clients, so you can get justice for your clients. And that's exactly what we did in this case. This was actually a tough case, but we ended up settling it for a pretty good amount because of, we think, because of this letter. And, you know, the next thing you could use are this um, digital tax maps where you could go in, and this is just from the city where they tell you uh, the tax information. There's a map and they'll link you back to Acris. Um, and then you can also use something known as open records. What Open Records does is it's a FOIL request. So it's a freedom of information law request. And you make the request online. You have to wait about two, three uh, months usually to get a response from most of the departments. So it's it's good to do it early in your case, right? When you sign up the client and you could do it again when you file a lawsuit perhaps because usually litigation takes a long time. So you'll definitely have two to three months um, if you're filing a lawsuit. But it's really cool for attorneys to do it. And you just have to be a little bit creative when you do it, because when you go to the category, it gives you a bunch of different categories. So depending on what type of case you have, it could be education, which we used. We had a case against the Department of Education where somebody slipped and fell. So we were actually able to get all the FOIL information using this. And one of the FOIL things was um, a policy from like 1974 saying that you have to have these rubber mats on the staircase, on the landings every time it rains. 
And this was like a policy that was there since 1974 for like 40 years. And they violated it in our case. So we used that at trial and it was very successful. We ended up getting 1,400,000 for that client. So it's very powerful stuff. You just have to be a little bit creative and open-minded and take the time to really search and explore. Uh, it's almost like you're wandering, so you don't know what you're going to find. But it's it's fun sometimes just to wander around if you have the the time to spend to really build up your client's case to get them the most uh, money possible. So you see here, you can go and ask for things from a lot of different agencies. So sometimes like you have a case and you wouldn't even think that another agency might have information. In most premises cases, it would be something like the Department of Buildings, but you could also get information from, you know, the Department of Consumer Affairs. For example, if it's a slip and fall inside a store, the Department of Consumer Affairs would regulate the store. Perhaps they issued them a violation for the same thing that your client fell on. Um, it could be the Department of Education, like in our case, because we had a mother who fell inside a school. Uh, it was a rainy day, but she fell well inside the school, right? So the rainwater shouldn't be going so far inside the building. So that was the Department of Education, their permits, their collective bargaining agreement with their teachers and all the union information was really helpful because it was saying that everybody agreed. It was collective bargaining. They all sat down at a table. They all agreed, the teachers, the janitors, the the owners of the school, which is the city of New York, the board of ed, everyone agreed we have to have these mats. And yet they didn't have the mats. And it's been like a policy for 40 years. So it looks really bad uh, that they don't follow their own policies. How can they themselves say all agree and say, hey, this is what we have to do and then not do it. That looks really bad um, and very damning. And you could get them to pay a lot of money like what we saw with that case. Um, we also do a lot of litigation where we have to get information from the Department of Homeless Services because a lot of the uh, incidents happen either at shelters or they happen in affordable housing, which is housing that is uh, receives any kind of money. The Department of Homeless Services has so many regulations. It's, it's very, very in-depth. They actually do like a, an inspection every January and then also every I believe June, and it's a 348 point inspection of these buildings because they're funded by the federal government and by the state government, they're subsidized, right? So they do these, these inspections. And we had a case where uh, someone fell in one of these buildings. And then we find that um, the common area of that property had a violation for slippery lobby floors and he fell on a slippery, slippery lobby floor. So exactly on point, boom. And then you, you made your case. So yeah, you just have to get creative with this. Like if you had something with the parks, obviously you go to the parks department, whatever, whatever it's about. There's a lot of different agencies you could search for. So it's a, this is really cool. I really like this one. This is one of the best ones. So just to summarize, I think like every attorney, when you get one of these premises cases, what you have to do is you have to, you know, have an open mind. You have to be willing to like search a little bit and explore. And there's a lot of cool things you can find. I mean, obviously, the, the most important thing is you go to the scene and you take your own photographs. You have your client tell you where they fell, take photographs, take measurements, you get an expert. But a lot of the things you could do yourself online, like we've seen here with these with these uh, free resources, this is all free of charge. And I'm sure there's probably some other investigatory um, websites where you pay a fee and they'll find um, more information for you. Like I heard of one guy 
a very cool service. What he'll do is he'll find former employees of the um, defendants that you're suing. So say, for example, I'm suing a building, right? He'll find the former super, the guy who no longer works there. And then that super will then become my witness, right? To prove the case, to say how bad they are, because he, he'll, he'll probably have a lot of fun dirt to share because he no, no longer works there. Maybe he got fired. He, he's upset. So that's a pretty cool, uh, cool service, but that gets expensive. I think that's like a few thousand dollars because they have to do a full private investigation. But if it's worth it, you could, you could totally do it. So there's a lot of resources available. And the main point is, if you have that truly injured individual where you as a lawyer see, hey, this client really needs help, this client has been wronged, then you it's your job to get that client justice. And it's your job to really sit down with that client, speak with that client, get to know them, go to their house, get on a Zoom, have them show you how their life has changed, how their family's life has changed. Then you could really get involved, get into the nitty gritty, get into those details, help tell their human story. But then you have all these resources to prove liability because the first thing you really have to do is prove liability, right? Liability doesn't change. If they fell in a hole, they fell in that hole. You can't really change liability. You can change damages. You can always build up damages. You can, clients go for, first they go for uh, an injection, then later on they may need surgery. So damages can always get bigger, get more serious. And then by getting to know them and how, the uh, traumatic event has impacted their life that's telling their human story so that's really really powerful so yeah i hope this has been helpful i think this is a really a cool way to to do it when you're a new york city trip and fall lawyer or a premises liability lawyer and you're looking to investigate a case use these free resources these are all really really cool and if you're a client you might be wondering hey i signed up with a lawyer what's the lawyer doing on my case are they just sitting there <laughs> letting it linger they shouldn't be they should be using all these resources i mean it does take time but this is really good stuff if you have a serious case like with a surgery a fracture if your lawyer isn't doing all this that's a real problem because there's so much um, gold nuggets here that you could be uh, missing so i hope this has been helpful Happy Friday the 13th to everybody. Have a great weekend. And um, I'll see you next time on Trial Stories. Bye-bye, everyone. 